Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership. On the show today, I've got Dayton Moore. He's the general manager of the Kansas City Royals. Great conversation with him. He knows a thing or two about how to build winning cultures. He knows a thing or two about leadership, how to be a heroic in both personally and professionally. I really enjoyed this conversation. Dayton Marks is starting his 14th full season with the Kansas City Royals starting this year in 2020. Came to the Royals in 2006. He's a native of Wichita, Kansas, which where I'm from. And he brought an impressive resume to the Royals in 2006, having previously worked for the Atlanta Braves organization for 14 years during their dynasty run. 14 straight division titles. After joining the Royals in 2006, he set out to bring a world championship back to Kansas City. It's a dream that was brought to fruition with two back-to-back World Series starting in 2014. And in 2015, the Royals finally bested the New York Mets in five games to win the franchise's first World Series championship in 30 years. He's a leader in the Kansas City community, and he's a regular speaker. He's an author. That's how I met Dayton. Uh, He was a keynote speaker at a leadership conference that I was emceeing. And he and I got to talk for a bit before he went on stage and got to know him a little bit. And we clicked in terms of uh, leadership beliefs and philosophy. All the lot of stuff we talk about here on the show, Dayton certainly believes. And he validates a lot of the things that I've talked about on here, that the currencies needed for leadership today are authenticity, transparency, vulnerability. He talks about that a lot, and it's been instrumental. Those currencies have been instrumental to his success, both in his personal and professional life. In fact, when he came to the Royals in 2006, he saw early on that, you know, if he was to solely focus on becoming world champions, it wasn't going to happen. And so he focused and set out to create a culture where he could be the best leader possible, where he could always be that composed, calm force in a sea of chaos. He, he was intentional about making sure, sharing the, the glory and the success, the kind of the window mirror theory, where if we're successful, it's because of the whole organization. And if we're failing, it's him looking in the mirror and there's something that he's doing and about being humble and having humility. And then, of course, articulating that vision of where the ship is going and why. And and so many great nuggets of leadership in this conversation. And I really appreciate the story about how when he decided to come to the Royals, and he had a couple other offers, but he decided to come to Kansas City, and everybody thought he was crazy. But it was because when he met the owner, the original owner, Mr. Glass, uh, who just recently passed away just a few weeks ago, and he decided to come because he sat down with him, the successful businessman that helped Walmart become so successful, one of the you know premier businessmen in the United States, in the world. And he sat down and he opened up to Dayton, uh, his heart, his level of humility, this authenticity, this vulnerability, this transparency. And it was that that attracted him to the Royals in the end. And I just, it's, it's a great story and you really get something out of it. This show is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. It's a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been so exciting and so fun, and it's been a privilege for them to be a sponsor of this series over the last 19 months, watching them grow into one of the fastest-growing banks in the Midwest. Equity Bank is now listed on the NASDAQ exchange. they got locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas. And I clearly believe that this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth, and their vision about what they want to do in the banking is completely different. It's something unique out there. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, then check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more 
about them. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a supporter of Dose of Leadership. Now let's join our conversation with Dayton Moore, the general manager of the Kansas City Royals, here on Dose of Leadership. Dayton, what a thrill to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Yeah, great to be with you, Richard. How are you doing? Doing good. It's good to see you again. You know, we met a few weeks ago at a leadership conference with a mutual client of ours, so it was it was exciting to meet you, and I'm so glad you agreed to come on. Well, it was a, it was a fun day, and uh, you know, I enjoyed enjoyed the group, enjoyed meeting you, and uh, so glad to be uh, you know part of your uh, your program. Well, it's an honor, as obviously as being a lifelong Royals fan myself, and we, you grew up. We found out you grew up in Wichita too. You didn't stay here very long. You eventually went on to, to other pastures, but I, I love having that, that commonality anyway. And you were a Royals fan too back in the day, weren't you? I was, you know, of course, you know, in the seventies and the eighties, you know, the Royals were a, a very easy team to root for. Yeah. Uh, in fact, a lot, a lot of people considered them a model organization in baseball. And uh, of course, you know, uh, being born in Wichita and, you know, my family all from, you know, South Central Kansas, uh, I had no choice. I mean, the Royals were, you know, what, uh, you know, the, the team that we followed. And, uh, you know, I remember every morning, uh, you know, getting the Wichita Eagle and checking the box scores. Of course, you, you couldn't watch a lot of games on television during that era. But uh, certainly was a, a lot of, uh, you know, very talented players to root for back then. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I, and my first real game I went to was a Royals game, you know, and Got to see George Brett, and it was yeah. good memories. Well, it's so you're coming into your 14th season. Uh, you're down in spring break now in Arizona. 14 years you've been with him as a general manager. So you, did you play ball in college and high school, and what was the dream when you were going through college? Yeah, I actually, you know, I, I wanted to play as long as I could, of course. And I was a, I was a college player um, and actually went to Garden City Community College and then went on to George Mason University. Signed with an independent pro team, was released out of there, and then began uh, my coaching career uh, in uh, when I was, uh, I believe, 24 years old at George Mason, and and I did that, uh, you know, for you know four full seasons, and and then uh, the Braves uh, offered us a position to scout the Mid Atlantic states, and. Uh, decided uh, that we would do that and I was just going to do it for four years and I was going to get back into to college coaching because I, I wanted to be a head coach in college that was truly my passion and and um, you know one thing led to another and uh, so you know we got another opportunity we ended up going down to Atlanta as the assistant director of scouting in August of uh, 1996 right after the Olympics and um, and then so things began to, you know, move quickly from there. So, yeah, what a great time to be in Atlanta. I mean, hitting that that streak in the in the mid-90s all the way through, well, that must have been an amazing experience. Unbelievable. You know, being able to, you know, work alongside and learn from people like Paul Snyder and, and John Scherholz and Bobby Cox and and uh, Donnie Williams and, and uh, just so many really talented people, Bill LaJoy and uh, just you know, I was just—it was just amazing the mentors uh, that I had, you know, during those years. And of course, uh, you know, got a chance to watch uh, a lot of very talented players, and Greg Maddox, and Chipper Jones, and Tom Glavin, and and uh, John Smoltz. And I mean, I can go oh, on and yeah. on with that group. I mean, it was a—it was a very talented group of players, and I learned a lot. I was going to say that, I, I mean, yeah, I can imagine that, that the learning curve went up exponentially, and here you are starting out as a scout. So how did the seed of becoming 
a general manager of an organization. Is that when that happened? Obviously being around all those individuals and, and seeing there, because I don't, I wouldn't think that you would have thought, Hey, I'm going to be a GM someday of a major. No, I, you know, it wasn't anything I ever sought out to do. You know, my father always told me to work every job you have, like it's the last one you'll ever right, have. Right. And you know, do it, do it like you're going to do it for the rest of your life. And uh, so that's kind of the spirit in which we went to work each and every day. I, I loved just, you know, being a part of baseball. There's so much to learn. It stimulates your, your mind every single day. No, no two days are the same when you're dealing with people and players and in and, and this game of baseball. And so, but John Sherholtz always told me, he said, look, let the needs of the organization guide your path. And so, uh, and, and, and that's kind of how it, 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 it's worked out, um, you know, for me along the way. And, and that's the message that uh, I present to a lot of our, our young aspiring uh, employees. Uh, you know, don't get caught up in wanting someone else's job. In leadership, we, we go to bed every single night reflecting on the day. We know where uh, our potential issues are. We know the areas that provide us. Uh, uh, you know, I, I guess a little less comfort and need to issues that need to be solved. And so we're always looking to find people who uh, can uh, be uh, presented a situation, placed in a situation, given that opportunity to help solve uh, the issue and help grow and lead a department effectively. And so uh, the people that we find uh, often uh, best, you know, for those jobs are, are the ones that are, are, are doing their current jobs very, very well. And, and when you have that initial conversation with them, Hey, look, we'd like for you to seek this other opportunity. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of caught off guard because, um, you know, it's, it's a shock to them. They, they weren't expecting it. Uh, but they've always, th those individuals seem to be the ones to always embrace the challenges and are ready for the next opportunity. Yeah, it's great advice. That's come up time and time again in these conversations on this show, and it's so true. And you know, especially when you're young and you're energetic, and your ego is probably a little larger than you have been knocking your butt that many times, and and you want to make a mark and do something significant. And we do tend to focus on, hey, I'm going to be this position, this salary range. But if you go in there, like you said, to let the needs of the organization kind of dictate your path, then that's that's a a value added mindset, right? I'm going to, I'm going to try to add value to anything that I do and not worry about position, title, salary, and the rest will take care of itself. I think that's very, it's so true, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. And you know, the hardest thing for us to do, and especially when we're young is to trust in the experience of others and um, just, just tr trust in their experience, trust in their wisdom. And, you know, and the other thing is you, you've got to, you got to seek wisdom every single day. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I think one of the most important aspects of leadership and you want to surround yourself with, with good people that are going to speak truth into your life and, and, uh, people that you can trust. I mean, we, we all, um, that's advice that everybody receives, but it's just so hard to, to kind of filter through it and, and figure out, you know, who are those people that you want to surround yourself? Who are those people that you're going to allow to come into your life and speak truth into it and, and help uncover your blind spots. And, and that's um, the only way to do that. And, and my belief system is to, to seek wisdom every single day. Um, and uh, prayer is a big part of that. Um, and I've always found that for whatever reason, uh, the right people have been put in my path that uh, will help chip away and, and uh, at, at uh, my rough edges and speak truth into my life and, and uh, uncover those blind spots to help me 
you know, become a, a, a much better uh, leader and communicator. And uh, just uh, it's all about really truthfully, Richard, I think being vulnerable and wanting people to to uh, just uh, help you. Yeah, well said. said. I think it's um, a combination. I read this in Jim Collins when he wrote Good to Great, and it's always stuck with me, and, and it's something personally I try to attain, but it's having that intensity of will, which I think, you know, having that mindset of being, you know, consistent, courageous, going to see things through, get the job done, an intensity of will, but it's combined with that sense of humility that you're talking about there where you know the authenticity the vulnerability the transparency that humility of seeking that wisdom and i think where that venn diagram intersects that intensity of will with that level of humility that's the sweet spot and it takes a tremendous amount of intentionality and and work to do that day in and day out right and you said whatever you do to center yourself prayer meditation faith whatever the case may be i think that's that's the ideal for me on the type of leader that I want to be. If I get either way on either side, then I'm not an effective. If all I'm doing is kind of a, a humble monk sitting there, I'm not getting the stuff I want to get done. If, but and if I'm a intense maniac, well, that's no good either. Right. Right. No, I think that's well said really. And, um, you know, I think for me, you know, perseverance and discipline are so important and, um, you, you have to, you've got to have a, a certainly a, a plan in place and, um, to, to, to do that, but you also have to be flexible in, in, uh, navigating through the plan, realize that information is presented at times that will challenge you, uh, to change the plan. And, um, and you want to be able to massage that plan effectively, but uh, you have to have perseverance. There's no doubt about it. And, um, and I think the only, you know, people ask me constantly, I've been asked this question probably more than any other time in, in my life, you know, starting out as a coach and, you know, being in professional sports. And people ask me, how do you motivate people? How do you get people motivated? And uh, that's always a, a tough question to answer. I'm not sure that you can, that I can really motivate another person. I think they have to have a, a a deep love for what they do. I mean, if you, if you have passion for what you do, I mean, passion is an emotion. It's going to come and go oftentimes based on what you're experiencing, good or bad. If you're having a, if you're having a good day, it's easy to maintain that high level of passion. If things are presented to you that are, are uh, discouraging along the way, it's not going very well. Something, you know, I've seen a lot of the guys passion wane, especially if they're having a bad week, a bad month or a bad year. And, but if you love it, you'll show up every single day and be able to give your best effort. And, and, um, and so you've got to identify people that really love what they do. Uh, maybe they just love being around people. They love to learn. They love to bring value. They just want to be a great member of the team. You know, John wouldn't said it and it's, it's something I use all the time. You're, you're, I'd rather have a player who makes, the team great than a great player. And, uh, and I think, I think that is so important when you're putting teams together, but as a leader, um, and, and you're trying to motivate people, the only way I've found to be able to do it is to, to do your job with passion, discipline, love, um, and, uh, and excitement and energy. And, and then always speak encouraging, positive words, tell the truth, uh, but in a in a positive and encouraging way, 
because I think uh, that's the only thing that I've found that truly can get people through a day, get people through a moment. Uh, like I said, a bad week, uh, a bad month or a bad year. You, you've got, they've got to know that you believe in them. Uh, and again, you've got to speak the truth, but you can speak the truth in a, in a very positive and encouraging way. And I think one of the things that you know, we talk to our players quite a bit about, you know, social media, and, uh, and I think our players have done a really a, a much a much better job with it than they did 10 years ago. And and um, you know, it's you know, words written, words spoken uh, should be meant to encourage and lift others up. And and uh, you know, you've got to be careful with with what you say and, and, uh, you know, what you write because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so toxic, uh, at times in, in, uh, in our society. And, and you just, you want to use those words to, to lift people up. And I think that's the best way you can do to try to motivate them. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. I think when I look back early on in my early leadership roles, I felt this tremendous amount of pressure and the stress is like, I gotta, I felt that was my number one job was to motivate them and I'm with you it's like I can't motivate you to do anything that's got to be up to you now the best thing that I can do as a leader is set the stage the environment and the example where you will be you know that motivation that I do believe that you know a lot of people they don't realize how much they have inside of them right and to extract that is is really their initiative but if I can set the environment to your point and I can give that and I'm and I'm, and it's almost like it's eighty to ninety percent focusing on yourself, and I don't mean in a selfish way, but in a way that like, how can I add value? What do I do? How am I coming across that perception? You know, you know, not worrying about the big problems and and trying to find those moments of leadership opportunities that are really subtle in front of you all the time, right? If you're sitting there right. and you're worried about, it, if you go in there and on February tenth and your main focus is on winning the World Series you know, this October, you're missing the opportunity for that. You know, you're, you're not even looking at the, the leadership opportunities that are right in front of your face. Right. And so you're setting the example, right. you're giving that wink, that nod, that little bit of encouragement. And it takes a tremendous amount of intentionality. And that's why I think leadership is so hard. It's easy to understand, but it's so hard because of that day-to-day grind of those little things that eventually compound, right? Like anything else. But it's just, it's, that's to me, that's what makes it so hard. Well, there's no doubt, you know, and I'll, we'll, uh, I'll get a chance to speak to our entire organization tomorrow. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I'll say to your point, I mean, we're not going to be so attached to the outcome winning a world series that we defeated in the daily process. Exactly. And so we, yeah. as leaders, as lead, yeah, as leaders, we have to understand that we shape culture. And uh, the way we're going to shape that culture is we have to lead ourselves well. And one of the things that I'll commit to our group is I'll commit to them the following in the following areas. And I will tell them, again, being vulnerable, the general manager of the team, uh, I would tell them that it is my will, it is my intention to settle disputes quickly uh, when they occur, because drama will creep into our front office. Drama will creep into our clubhouse. We will have issues. We will have debates. Sometimes it does get a little personal. And But I'm going to be the one that uh, is going to commit to settle those disputes quickly. I don't have to be right. I just I want harmony in our relationship. And I'm going to go out of my way to make sure we have that harmony. I'm going to be responsive. Uh, by being responsive to the members of our leadership team, it simply shows that, that that I care. Simple kindness and concern 
for their question, what they're dealing with, the things that are important to them. I want to give our people more than they expect. I want to go above and beyond, and which tells them that I'm willing to serve them. Uh, I'm going to stand up for them. You know, we're going to have ups and downs over 162 games. And again, I'm always going to tell the truth, but I'm going to stand up for them. And, uh, and, and, and by doing that, I think that gets them through the day, gets them ready for tomorrow. That's the encouragement that they need. I'm going to do my best to remain calm in the eye of the storm. Look, uh, in, in, you know, 27 years of professional baseball, very few times, if ever, I put my head on a pillow at night and I've just had a perfect day. I mean, there's, there's things that happen along the way. And so as a leader, when it gets, when the waters get a little rough, um, you know, I've got to kind of step back and, and try to bring some calmness to the situation. And, uh, and the other thing I have to do is, you know, when things do go well, I've got to share the glory. You know, nothing excites me more than after a win and our players or a member of our coaching staff is interviewed because they were clearly the star or the important part of that win on that particular day. And they deflect the credit. You know, they give the credit to their coach. They give the credit to the pitcher. Or they give the credit to the play that took place in the first or second inning. You know, they deflect that credit. And by by sharing the glory, it shows that uh, you have humility in who you are. And then the last thing, you know, as leaders, oftentimes we have to, you know, we have to stand up in front of a group like I will t t tomorrow and try to, you know, articulate our vision and uh, uh, inspire a group to, to row the boat in the same direction. Uh, and But we all know it's very difficult to build a consensus. And so we've got to make sure that we're intentional about one-on-one -on -one communication, spending that one-on-one -on -one time, whether it's early morning around the coffee pot um, or it's lunch or dinner or just a, a private meeting with just a, a couple individuals so they can understand your heart. You know, one of the things that I reflect back on quite a bit and, um, you know, when our, when our decision to come to Kansas City, and I think everybody in baseball knows that, you know, we were a part of the succession plan in Atlanta after 2008 when John Cherholtz was going to to kind of uh, take on a, a, another leadership role. And we were expected to stay right there in Atlanta. But we, we came to Kansas City because we, we wanted, uh, you know, we wanted that challenge. Yes. But really, the reason we were interested in coming to Kansas City is because I had a chance to sit down with Mr. Glass one of the most successful businessmen in the history of our country. He had brought Walmart to levels that nobody ever expected. And when I sat down one-on-one -on -one with him, he shared his heart with me. He shared his vision. And because he shared his heart and he was extremely transparent and vulnerable and saying things like, you know, I'm very embarrassed about the play of our team. Uh, it's, it, it's hurtful to me. I, I want to do something special for the fans. Well, that, that attracted me because I thought of my mother and my grandmother and all the people that I knew that loved the Royals. And, you know, he shared his heart with me and because he shared his heart with me, <clears throat> I began to connect with him without that one-on-one -on -one communication. He could have sent just the president or uh, a couple of the other members of the leadership team to kind of talk to me and convince me that, you know, this could be a good opportunity, but no, he got on a plane himself the owner of the team, and also uh, had a very powerful and influential role with Walmart at the time. And he, he made it very important to share his heart with me. And, and because he did that, I, I became connected to him and I wanted to learn more. And, uh, you know, so I think it's very important. So those are some things just to 
I will share with our group tomorrow, and that will be my commitment. So you talk about leaders, you know, shaping culture and and uh, being vulnerable and just kind of leading themselves, and I'll do my best. And, and when I when I throw that out there in a vulnerable way, people will hold me accountable for that. I'll have Emily Penn, who's our administrative assistant, and she said, you know, you, you talk about the importance of settling disputes quickly. You, you might need to uh, be a little more proactive in this area. Or, you know what, you want to be responsive? <clears throat> talk about being responsive. You know, you need to get back to this person uh, in a more timely manner. And so I'll have, because I commit to this and I do this every single year, I'll have people at all levels in the organization reminding me of the importance of, of uh, you know, kind of walking the walk, if you will. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of this special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? and not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks, by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. I love all that. You said so many great things, and you're absolutely right. And I was kind of going around the question when you get to the high-level leadership roles and you hit on so many things like what I was going to ask, what is you think the most critical role of the GM? And you you kind of answer that by going through everything you said. It's, it's, you, you kind of feel like it's your responsibility. Number one, I got to be composed in every situation. I got to be the calming force no matter what happens. You know, I got to make sure that I'm sharing the glory and making sure that, you know, it's like the window mirror theory that if things are going well, you're going to make sure that every it's because of them. And you seem like a guy that if things are going wrong, you're going to be looking in the mirror. I mean, that's what I heard from you saying that. And the, and the humility piece that we already kind of touched on, which is so crucial. And then articulating that vision, communicating where the ship is going and why we're doing it. And then to your point, just like like Mr. Glass sat down with you, and I said this so many times, that I think that the currency that is so needed, that gets so underplayed in our popular culture and everything else and, and in business is this authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. I think those are three primary currencies that opens the door to yeah. so many things, so many things. And, you, and you're, you're validating the point there with that conversation with Glass. I mean, you had the opportunity – what, with Atlanta for GM or, or Saint, who was it? Who was your who? Um, you had another opportunity as a GM somewhere before Kansas City. What? We did. We had a couple opportunities in 2005 in Arizona and Boston, and and it just wasn't the right time for to, for our family. And of course, you know, I never thought I'd leave Atlanta. I yeah. really didn't. You know, our, our family was thriving there. I loved the people I worked with. The team was obviously really, really good, and and uh, I never thought I'd leave. But yeah, we. We had some opportunity, but it's never been, you know, it's never been the focus of mine to be the boss, if you will. Right. And, right. Uh, to, 
And and you just look if you're passionate and you love leadership, look there is opportunity at every level of uh, in society to lead. And yes. in fact, you know and I know there are more Im- impactful and, and influential leaders in this world and in this country. People that we have no idea exactly. about. People that nobody's ever written an article about. Um, and people that uh, are kind of in the shadows, but are doing unbelievable work. And so you and I get a chance to talk about leadership. Truthfully, it's very humbling to be able to do so. But I realize there's so many people out there that have much greater wisdom than I do. And that's why I'm always looking to get information yeah. and help from everybody. And it doesn't matter if you if you if you get paid by the royals. Um, on the 15th and 30th, you're really, really important and your opinion matters. And, and I'm willing to, um, get to, to receive your opinion, ask your opinion, your, your words matter, your, your expertise are really important for our organization. And I think, I think Richard, that's how you create uh, harmony in your organization. People feel a part of it. You know, they, they want to be a part of, you know, the vision of the team and they feel like their, their work and their opinion matters. Look, leadership begins and ends with putting others first and doing everything you can to provide opportunity for others. And so if, if you don't understand that, if you think leadership is about you and exalting self, it's, it's probably going to be a short lived opportunity. And, and then when you do get the top, get to the top, it's going to be a shallow victory. There's not going to be a lot of people celebrating with you. There are teams every single year that host that that hoist that trophy uh, in in all sports, and I can only speak for baseball. They'll they're and and they all celebrate. But there's many people in those organizations that want out. They just it's a dysfunctional culture. They're not enjoying it. And you're saying, well, you just want a World Series ring. You just guys are on top of the world. Yeah, but you know what? They don't. They don't treat us the way they ought. We ought to be treated. You know, we work really, really hard, and we sacrifice time away from family, and and uh, we just don't uh, feel appreciated. So at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Look, we, we've we've been really blessed to, to to be a part of a lot of winners. Okay, whether it be 14 straight in Atlanta to to winning here back to back World Series, only small market in the modern era since uh, 1994. The only small market team to win a World Series, let alone go back to back. All the Gold Glovers we've had over a 10 year period, the most in baseball. I mean, we, we celebrate what we've accomplished here. But I'm going to tell you right now, the thing that's most important to us is just our environment and the relationships we have. That's what we're going to remember. Trust yeah. me. I've, I've interviewed a lot of people that are out of baseball. Uh, and, and when they, when they reflect back, they don't talk about how many world series rings they had or how many championships they won. They talk about the relationships. They talk about the people, what they're saying is they love the environment. And so that's what I think is so, so important, uh, in leadership, just to provide opportunity for people to reach their ceiling, provide for their families and uh, to be the very best that they can be. It's simple principles. Yeah, it's it's so easy to understand. And I love that. And I, I kind of remember reading somewhere when you came there in 06, and um, you're in your mid to late 30s there, I guess. And and you, I can't remember where I read this, but it seems like in two months you realize like, hey, we're not going to – I can see how we're not going to win the World Series here. So you decided to focus, at, as you mentioned earlier here, let's focus on creating a really – kick butt culture right and no doubt no yeah. doubt i mean when i would like so you I mean and you've got to know the the context 
aspects of it because, you know, when, when we were deciding whether to come to Kansas City or not, knowing that we had the opportunity to stay in Atlanta and be a part of John Sherholtz's succession plan, people thought we were nuts. They thought we were crazy yeah. to come to Kansas City because of the economics, the game had changed, small market, not a lot of players in their farm system. How are you going to win? The, the fans in baseball, the fans in sports, if you, if, you, if you don't win in three to five years, they demand that leadership change occurs. Um, and so we're fortunate to have Mr. Glass stand be, behind us. But yes, I mean, there was about, after analyzing all aspects of the organization, and evaluating all of our players and evaluating the division and the American League and, and how are we going to ever you know win our division and, and get to the playoffs, let alone win a World Series. I mean, I, I began to, to believe in what everybody told me. Dayton, you're not going to be able to win here. And so we said, you know what, we're just going to do everything we can to um, try to make this the best environment that we possibly can. And so – and I was proud because, you know, we had – during that period of time, and we were getting better, our farm system was getting better, but I think we had like 28 people in our organization that other organizations tried to hire over that eight-year period before we ended up, uh, you know, making it to the World Series. And not, we, I think we lost one person. We did. We lost one person, and it was to a, an organization, and it was a position that we just simply could not uh, accommodate the individual. And so it was the right move for him and his family. And, you know, he's still it was the other organization and thriving and doing well. But I was proud of that. And we weren't the high, we weren't paying our, our people at the highest level. We were paying them a fair wage. Mr. Glass was very, very fair. But I think it was the buy-in. It was the togetherness. It was just the, the feeling that everybody understood that all of our success was tied together and everybody had input. And the general manager didn't need to be the smartest guy in the room. And most days he clearly was not. How much of the looking when you're looking at players do you get involved like you know when you're bringing somebody on obviously someone like you character is important i mean how how does that work i mean if you've got two players and all things being equal on paper they're exactly the same and you can only pick one guy i mean do you get involved with that is char is character a big issue there it is it's huge i mean look when i've never worked with anybody or been around any player where their personal life doesn't leak in to their professional life and, and vice versa. I mean, it's very hard to separate, you know, baseball, as I said, it's every single day. I mean, we, we're down here in Arizona. We won't have, we won't have an off day until the season is, is over. Truthfully, even when we, when we don't play, I mean, you're meeting and there's things going on and you're, you're, you're seeing players in the minor leagues. And, and uh, of course we have the draft coming up in June. I mean, it's just uh it's such a uh, an intense uh, environment. It really is. There's always something uh, to do, you know, in this in this process. But so, but yeah, we we take. I mean, obviously, uh, Matt Morosco, who's our director of leadership development, Dr. Ryan Maid, who is our sports uh, psychologist, uh, they get involved with evaluating character and, and behavior. I mean, we have a player here right now that who um, we, we like a lot, and he's just experiencing some things in his personal life that are a little challenging right now, no different than many people experience in all levels of life. Uh, and, uh, you know, Matt Morosco, I told the player, I said, look, you're going to meet with Matt Morosco. I, I don't know if it's going to be once a week or five times a week or every day. Matt will truly decide what's in the best interest of you and your family. And then regardless of how you perform this spring, Matt Morosco 
will uh, make the evaluation and uh, he will tell me whether you are stable enough emotionally and your personal life is in balance enough where you can break camp with this team and uh, and you can help us over this 162 marathon that we're about to commence. So uh, I'll leave that up to Matt Morosco and Matt will tell me this, this person may be the best player in camp, but if Matt Morosco says, Hey Dayton, you know what? He's not ready. He, he, he's going to, he's going to shipwreck along the way. Then I'm going to trust Matt Morosco and just, you know, slow it down a little bit because in our game, you know, in professional sports, uh, oftentimes you get players that are so gifted uh, with their skill and their athleticism and their talent, but their minds just haven't caught up yet. And so their ability has just projected them and propelled them onto this scene, but they're still, you know, they still haven't developed mentally to a level that they're going to, to be able to uh, thrive. I mean, you're talking about a lot of money. You're talking about great hotels and great cities and all the pressure and, that you have to deal with. And so, yeah, the character aspect is so huge. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to develop our character and leadership programs. Mr. Glass always told me, he said, look, Dayton, he said, our character and leadership programs need to um, uh, exceed industry standards because those character and leadership programs are going to benefit our players well beyond uh, their careers. And so we've always uh, taken that to heart. But that was the, that was the philosophy of John Scherholz, uh in Atlanta as well. So it's been very rewarding and natural to to um, to conduct ourselves that way because all of my mentors uh, demanded it. Well, I'm excited for this career. I mean, I know you're a busy man. It's been a privilege having you on this show. I could talk to you for hours about this stuff because I, I just, I think you and I see things the same way and I'm Really interested to see how the, the ins, the kind of the cliche inside baseball of baseball, I guess. But uh, I, I really appreciate your philosophy on life, your authenticity, your vulnerability, your transparency, humility. I'm excited to see what uh, your new uh, manager, his first season for him, uh, Mike Matheny. How do you say his last name? Is it Matheny or Matheny? Yeah, Matheny. Yeah, Mike yeah. Matheny. Richard, he's going to be spectacular. I know he, he really is. I mean, he, he he's going to be. He's special. He really is. I mean, I, I was telling uh, Mr. Sherman the other day that uh, this guy's better than I thought he was. I mean, he doesn't miss anything just being in meetings with him. I mean, he's a great listener. Um, he's just really, really smart. And, and, you know, he's always won his whole life. And if we don't win here in Kansas City again, it ain't, it's not going to be because of Mike Matheny. It's going to be because of your guest on this program today. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's pretty good. And it puts it, – it, it, it puts us, uh, you know, and we wanna we wanna do everything we can to get him the right players where he can match up accordingly and and uh, put a group together and go. Yeah, I've always liked him. He seems like a he seems like the real deal. So I'm excited to see what he does in this in this role. It's going to be exciting. I'm like I said, I'm looking forward to the the season. Best of luck to you in the season. How can people um, learn more about you? And uh, I know you do speaking and you have a book out there. Is there a way that you can have people get in connect, connect with you or learn more well, about you? Yeah. Emily Penning, who's in our office, Emily Penning, who works, uh, we work very closely together and, and, uh, you know, I, I do get out there and speak when I can. And, you know, after we won, uh, we went to the world series in 14. I, I think we had, you know, 52 speaking engagements and, 
in 2015, and then in, when we won in 15 and 16, I think I was out there. I think I had 72 events throughout Kansas City and the country, and and what have you. We've we've cut that back quite a bit because, as you know, it's uh, it's a very taxing schedule, and and uh, you know I've got to focus on what we do here. But I, but I enjoy talking leadership. I enjoy learning. I enjoyed meeting you uh, and spending time talking to you about leadership. This program today. I took notes on things that you said, um, and so uh, you, you were always trying to learn. Well, like I said, it's been a privilege to, to get to know you and to have you on the show. I'm so proud and honored to have you in the Dose of Leadership Tribe. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Anytime. Let's do it again. You bet. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series, The Dose of Leadership, brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.